What's up, Brecian? Hey, Michael. Uh, I know Eric's out of town this weekend. And you're preaching. I was reading through your sermon, and you're talking about putting on new clothes. Yeah, man, we're talking about the new clothes we put on in baptism. I had an awesome idea, so... If you could, come on over to my house. Yeah, yeah, I'll be right over. Michael, man, thanks for meeting me at my house, man, oh, on such bet, short man. notice. You bet. We you have bet. got to get rid of those chacos, dude. Come on, those are embarrassing. You talking about new clothes? You ain't even ready for this, man. good to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. If you are visiting with us this morning, uh, we are in our second week of Elevate, a sermon series on Paul's rich letter to the Colossians. And speaking of clothes, I remember the moment when I put on the set of clothes that I would never take off. I was in the seventh grade. It was on, on a Tuesday evening. I was sitting in a jacuzzi, the lower half of my body warm as the upper half of my body is dry. My youth minister has his hands over mine as my parents are standing outside the tub with tears in their eyes. My youth minister proceeds to ask me, Michael, do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior who died on the cross for your sin and was raised after three days? And my seventh grade cute self said, yes, sir. He smiles and says, based on your confession, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he plunged me down into the water and I was raised wearing brand new clothes. I was raised a new person. I was raised clothed in the garments of Jesus Christ. That beats anything one would find in Brecian's closet any day of the week. Uh, one of my favorite things about our Church of Christ heritage is our commitment to baptism. You know, the first time I baptized a kid, it was at church camp in Virginia a few years ago, and I was so excited to get this kid into the water that after I took his confession, I forgot to plug his nose. I just slammed him down there. He's still alive. Um, I love our commitment to baptism, even though... I think we could have explained it a little bit better. You see, when I was growing up, baptism was taught as if it was like this golden ticket into heaven. And the problem with understanding baptism in this way is it only stressed how it changed our heavenly life, 
while neglecting on teaching us how it changes our earthly one. So the goal of the church wasn't focused on cultivating more disciples, but it was about getting as many people as we could into the water in order that they might be saved. But although I wish we had explained it better, I nevertheless came to deeply appreciate our commitment to baptism, especially after it was clarified to me over the years. Paul says it best in Romans that we were buried together with him through baptism into his death so that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too can walk in newness of life. If we were united together in a death like his, we will also be united together in a resurrection like his. This is what we know. The person that we used to be was crucified with him in order to get rid of the corpse that had been controlled by sin. Paul proclaims that what happens in baptism is that we take off the old clothes of sin, we put away our old self, we crucify our old self, and we rise up afresh wearing the new clothes of Jesus Christ. And as we are united in his death, our sin is washed away, and we are also reunited to his resurrection. To paraphrase one Christian thinker, baptism is nothing less than grace, grabbing your sin by the collar and submerging it within itself. In baptism, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit who takes residence within our souls and equips us with grace to live into our brand new clothes. And by clothing ourselves in Christ, by clothing ourselves in God, we can experience salvation right here, right now, as the author of our salvation is woven into the very fabric of our new self. Coincidentally, the same baptismal language Paul uses in Romans is also scattered throughout the first three chapters in Colossians. You know, up until our current passage this morning, Paul has been recalling his audience's baptismal memory, pointing out how God's secret plan has been, uh, made, was made available among the Gentiles, that the evidence for the secret being revealed is found in themselves. It's almost like Paul is saying, look in a mirror. Christ lives in you since you were not only buried in his death, but you were raised with him in baptism. And the moment you were buried, the moment you were raised, your lives were forever, forever hidden with Christ in God. So as we pick up in chapter 3, verse 12, Paul has been urging the Colossians to keep off the old clothes, to keep off the old nature they put to death in their baptism. So if the first 11 verses of chapter 3 are about keeping off the old clothes of the old self, then the next five verses are about, uh, are about what is expected of one who is newly clothed in the new self. Paul says this, Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Be tolerant with each other, and if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. 
As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. The peace of Christ must control your hearts, the peace into which you were called into one body, and be thankful, people. The word of Christ must live, and you richly teach and warn each other with all Gratitude, with, uh, warn each other with all wisdom by singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts, and whatever you do, whether in speech or action, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, and give thanks to God the Father through him. Now, for some of us in here, especially if you are someone who doesn't like being told what to do, then I would imagine that this passage is probably not your favorite. You know, it almost seems like Paul is providing us with just like another to-do list. And what makes it even more frustrating is he's not really clarifying or explaining himself here. It almost reads like just another to-do. Yet for others of us, putting uh, this passage might recall another one of Paul's image, images from the letter to the Ephesians. When he's talking about putting on the breastplate of justice, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, to put on shoes to spread the message of peace. Which, by the way, I am wearing shoes today. Um, Yet what I'm struck by in this passage is this image of putting on love as if it's a kind of clothing for others to see, as if it's a kind of clothing that can be worn. So a couple years ago, I got to witness a public gathering that ended up looking like a protest you might see on TV. You know, there was a mob on the left, a mob on the right, both yelling at each other in equal velocity, both equally red in the face. Now, as I was observing this from a very safe distance, I saw this guy interject himself in the middle between the two angry parties. And this guy happened to be a Christian. And the reason why I know he was a Christian is because he started preaching a sermon. He started making this passionate plea for everyone to, to love each other in the name of the Lord. So, you know what that those two crowds did after he was done preaching? They just kept on shouting at each other as if nothing had happened. You know, to be clear, there's nothing untrue about what that guy said, right? At least in principle. But I wonder, could there have been a way in which that guy could have shown love rather than make a passionate plea for love? And if so, what would love look like in that situation? Have you been in a situation similar to that? You know, you don't have to be near an angry protest, but have you ever been in an intense disagreement with a friend, your spouse, a coworker, your kids about something of significance? It's really intense. You're going back and forth. The stakes are really high for both parties involved. And as you are in the midst of this intense conversation, this has an uninvited third party ever interjected themselves in that conversation. You know, and whoever that third party is, they just want the two of you to get along with each other in the name of the Lord, to love each other. You know, they end up repeating the, the refrain of that Beatles song that says, all we need is... Thanks, Eric. Uh, 
Yes, all we need to do is simply love one another, and that'll fix all of our problems. You know, I think that statement has the potential to be meaningful, but it almost always ends up ringing a little bit hollow. Let me try to explain why. First, notice the passage in our passage, or notice the language in our passage this morning. You know, Paul's not giving out a new uh, list of rituals or rules. Paul's not giving his readers a new to-do list. Paul's not saying, do this or do that. Instead, Paul is saying, be this, be that, become an actual embodiment of the good. Another way of saying it is that he is saying, become who you already are as one who's been clothed in the garments of Jesus Christ. You see, what happens when we put on love is that we are equipped with grace from the indwelling spirit to be compassionate to others. And when we put on love, we are equipped with grace from the spirit to be humble while receiving praise, to be patient with our irritating friend or neighbor. When we put on love, we are not only equipped with grace, but we are empowered by grace to offer forgiveness in the midst of harm, to offer kindness when our neighbors need encouragement. What we are doing when we put on love is that we are demonstrating how the word of God, who is Jesus Christ, lives within us. And whenever we put on love, we learn that love is the soul of all the virtues. We learn that love is the grounds by which we are not only transformed by God's grace, but also where we concretely embody God's grace in every single thing that we do. Whenever we put on love, we come to learn that love is not the sentimental idea that we use to lessen intense conflict between two angry mobs. Instead, we learn that putting on love always results in a concrete action. Or as Paul says in another letter, love is patient, love is kind. It isn't jealous, it doesn't brag, it isn't arrogant. It isn't rude. It doesn't seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but is happy with the truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts in all things, hopes for all things, and endures all things. Love is concretely displayed in the pursuit for truth. Love is concretely displayed in acts of justice. Love is concretely displayed whenever you are compassionate, whenever you are kind, whenever you are forgiving, whenever you are patient, humble, and gentle. Whenever we put on love, then what always follows is a concrete act of God's goodness through us. And whenever we put on love, we are living into the clothes that we put on in baptism. We are living into the clothes of Jesus Christ. You know, following my own baptism, I remember feeling the weight of the new clothes I put on at my private Christian middle school the next morning. I felt so clean and so fresh. In fact, I was so fresh that my friends were even looking at me differently, especially after it was announced in chapel that I put the Lord on baptism the, the previous evening. 
You know, everyone was looking at me as if I was wearing brand new clothes, even though I was wearing the same uniform everyone else had on. You know, I felt like I was a celebrity. You know, I was getting fives from all the guys, hugs from all the girls I might have been crushing on at the time. And I thought to myself, perhaps I should get baptized more often. <laughs> Here's the question. Can you still see the new clothes I put on in baptism so many years ago? Can others see the new clothes you put on in baptism whenever you were baptized, whether it was last month, at Camp Highland, or to the adults in the room so many years ago? If the answer is no, then the next question is why? You know, if you've been clothed in Christ, then what should follow, immediately follow, is after being immersed into water, is an, either, is an even deeper immersion into the life and teachings of Christ, right? For Jesus came to teach us not only how to die, but to teach us how to live. And by examining his life, we begin to garner the sense that living like Christ, having on the clothes of Christ, putting on love just like Christ, is a costly, costly demand. You know, putting on love is kind of like putting on a football uniform for the first time. You know, so there was a time in my life when I tried to uh, play sports. It was uh, in middle school. I was sporting a chili bowl haircut. I was weighing 110 pounds. And I signed up to play football because all my friends were doing it. Why not me? Now, to be absolutely clear, I had no idea what was actually involved in playing football. And I just remember you know, putting on my football gear, feeling so cool, so athletic until I was literally hit with the painful reality of what it means to actually play football as this guy tackled me into the ground three times my size. Please, I need more of your sympathy. <laughs> you know, putting on love is kind of like that, right? Or putting on love is kind of like whenever you go to a, your favorite store to purchase a new outfit, or in Breeshen's case, many stores for many outfits. You know, whenever you purchase a new outfit, you are committing yourself to wearing that outfit for hopefully more than one occasion, which, at least for me, that makes buying clothes an extremely stressful endeavor, precisely because I don't know if I'm making a good investment or not, given all the variables that could happen between my purchase and just time. You know, for example, I wasn't planning on gaining a little weight, but I did. Now that new outfit I got, although still clearly wearable, it's a little snug. It's a little uncomfortable. I wasn't planning for my pet to put a, uh, a rip in my sleeve, but it happened. And even more, try as hard as you can in all the ways you, that you can, somehow, in some way, a stain inevitably gets on my brand new outfit. So what do you do? Well, you send it to the cleaners, which involves spending both time and money, two things we don't have nearly enough of, says the preaching apprentice. <clears throat> you know, it almost seems like we're spending a lot more time maintaining our new outfit rather than actually wearing it. 
So if you're like me, you go look for something old to put back on. You know, there's this sense of duality whenever, uh, when it comes to putting on love every single day, right? For on the one hand, when we put on love, we experience this sense of stability, this sense of consolation, this sense of wholeness with the God that we are wearing, right? Whenever we are compassionate to the poor, whenever we let go of our resentments, whenever we make peace with our enemies, we have this sense of deep harmony with the God that we wear, Yet, on the other hand, uh, there's a costly demand to putting on love every day, right? This demand is so costly that it will take every inch of our being because putting on love every single day essentially means picking up our cross. And picking up our cross requires discipline, It demands daily maintenance. It's often unpleasant, it's uncomfortable, and at times it's really painful. The material payout, zero to none. You know, it seems like there is often a gap between the church's commitment to uh, and putting on love and living into the love we're actually proclaiming to wear. You know, to paraphrase the writer Bell Hooks, there is a gap between the values we claim to hold as love wearers and our willingness to do the work of connecting the love that we wear to a way of life. And perhaps the reason for this cognitive dissonance is due to us wearing something else over the clothes we put on in baptism. So perhaps the question shouldn't be on why others can't see our Christ clothes, but on what. What are we putting over the clothes we put on in baptism? What are we wearing that prevents others from seeing God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Bell Hooks insightfully writes that in our society, we make much of love and we say little about fear. Yet we are all terribly afraid most of the time. As a culture, we are obsessed with this notion of safety, and yet we do not question why we live in states of anxiety and dread. Fear is the primary force upholding structures of domination. It promotes desires for separation, desire not to be known. And when we are taught that safety lies always with sameness, indifference of any kind will appear as a threat. So if putting on love results in concrete acts of goodness, then putting on fear results in concrete acts of sin. Wearing fear results in anger. Wearing fear results in violence through our words, our deeds, our thoughts. Wearing fear means living a life of constant anxiety, suspicion, and the unholy desire to dominate with power. My friends, wearing fear is a sin. And what's cunning about fear is that it's such a natural fit for us to wear. It seems to fit even better once we start justifying our fear with sound reasoning and judgment. We start wondering why everyone else isn't afraid with us. However, if you have been clothed in Jesus Christ, then wearing fear is never an option for us. 
because there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. So what are we going to wear today? Are we wearing the clothes of our world or are we wearing love? You know, wearing the clothes of our world results in wearing fear, while wearing love results in fearless sacrifice. Wearing the clothes of our world entails wearing clothes that proclaim might, power, and greatness, while wearing love results in concrete acts of compassion, kindness, justice, and forgiveness. Wearing the clothes of our world means wearing the values of our profession, our favorite news organization, or our favorite politician. But wearing love means concretely embodying our Lord's life, death, and resurrection. So if you're going to put on love today, then remember, it's going to be really costly. Wearing love will demand every fiber of your being. But my friends, wearing love is worth it. Because whenever we put on and wear love, we experience God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Praise be to God. Let's stand up and sing. Salvation belongs to our God.